This is the Out of Water Podcast. And everybody knows, whether you're whoever you are listening to this, you know that the grave's going to swallow up everything you are and everything you do. It's only when you invest your identity, your labors, your hope, your effort, your ministry, when you invest it in the Lord, then all of a sudden it has eternal implications. And that's the only way that you will ever be able to say that your labor is not in vain. Period. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Out of Water podcast. I am your host, Sam, and joining me today is Will. Hi, Sam. Hello. We are continuing along in our study on the Ten Commandments, and hopefully today the goal is to hit number four. And this time I have my phone successfully on Do Not Disturb, you know, I've gotten a number of people who've texted me like directions on how to put your phone on do not disturb after last week having my phone ring. And so I'm looking at it and I finally figured out what the problem was. What was it? I had everything on do not disturb, but you know how it allows you to allow some apps to come through for some reason, my phone, like the actually receiving phone calls was enabled. You really messed that one up. Because if there's like one thing that you definitely want to not happen, it's your phone ringing, and that's the one thing. That's the only reason for Do Not Disturb. Yes, I know that. Okay. <laughs> but for some reason, that was allowed, and that's like the one thing you don't want to have happen on a Sunday morning in the middle of church. That was what I had allowed come through, and I don't, I don't know that I did that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was me. Yeah, I, I think you did that. <laughs> Because everyone listening is like, that's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Not with me. Or my kids or something get a hold of my phone and they're like, this would be funny. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, we've already gone through the first three commandments and uh, we're going to talk about today the fourth commandment. And the first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, how we're to serve him, how we're to love him. Um, And they really kind of lay a foundation for all of the subsequent commandments, five through 10, that deal with how we're to love our fellow man, Hmm. ranging from our parents to our neighbors and all in between. And it's interesting that when Jesus is asked about the two greatest commandments, he says, you know, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. All your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength. You mix them up. Mark has all of them, I think. Um, But it's basically saying everything you are, love God with all of it, which is, you know, an impossibility for fallen, sinful people. But that's the goal. That's the aim is to love God with everything you got. And that's the first four commandments. God kind of spells out like, okay, here's how you can do that. You know, don't have any other gods before me. And basically what that means is if, if God, if your conception of God is the highest ideal, the greatest thing, the, what you yield your life to and sacrifice and surrender and all your time and treasure and talent and everything serves this thing. If he's the most beautiful thing you've got, then you're going to want to conform to his image. You won't be able to help, but become more like him. And then the rest of the commandments kind of fall in place. You'll be conformed more into his image. So make him your highest ideal and the rest of the commandments follow. Then it's uh, not making graven images or having idols or letting things compete for your uh, affections, right? Your, your number one worship and your source of satisfaction should be the Lord. So it's your highest love, your source of satisfaction, purpose, meaning is number two. And then number three, it's, hey, God's name is his essence. And when you walk around, remember it says, do not take the Lord's name in vain, which has a sense of carrying that's your identity. And so when you go out into the world, remember, it's not just your reputation that's at stake. If you carry the name Christian, then it's his reputation at stake. It's the church's reputation at stake. Do not treat that lightly. Do you, and, and obviously don't speak his name lightly or condescending or uh, with vanity. Like that's not good either. And so then today, and by the way, all of these are good for you. Like if, if you're living in a, in, a, in a style that would be good for his reputation, it's also good for your reputation. So all of these commandments, if you followed them, would bless you every bit as much as they would bless God, because we're going to do all of them imperfectly anyway. He has to clean even our best works up. And then you get to number four, and, and here you see like, This is a commandment, which is about the Sabbath. 
and this might be one of the most overlooked or misunderstood, but it reveals so much about the nature of God. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. So he's got a lot to say about this. It's, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, the word holy means set apart. You know, we tend to, to conflate holy and righteousness into the same word, and they have that. You know, holy is righteous, but holy means set apart. It's different. Like, it, this day needs to be different than all the other days that you have. It's set apart and given over to the Lord. Just like you, I've heard it said that the Sabbath. You know, you give a tithe of your income, 10% of your income to the Lord, like you're setting it apart and saying, hey, this is this is to you to, as my acknowledgement that you own it all, but it's me giving you 10%. That the Sabbath is like a tithe in a sense, even though tithe means one-tenth, it's one-seventh. It's, it's saying this day is entirely yours. So with a tithe, it's saying, hey, money doesn't control me. And I find my identity not in how much I own. And so to show that, I'm going to lay down and surrender some money. But, you know, for a lot of people, including me, time is more precious, I think, than money in, in my world with four kids and a job and pastors and all the requirements. Like, And God is coming and saying, no, I want you to set aside one of those days for me where you're not busy running around trying to find your identity and what you do. And he goes on and he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So, by the way, that's part of this commandment. It's not just, hey, you have to rest once out of every seven, but six days you do all your labor, you do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. By the way, when you hear servants, think employees there. But if you're the boss, guess what? That's, that's a commandment for you to not have your employees working on the Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. He made it different. He set it apart, and now he's calling us to follow after it. And so, Will, you've preached on the Sabbath before. What when you hear this, like, what are the things that jump out to you about the Sabbath? Yeah, that, I think I was forced into Sabbath because of that sermon. So we were looking ahead and like, we plan our preaching calendar, you know, months out. Like we already have through August planned. So I know, you know, my date is this and then eventually we get a topic. And then, so as I was going up to that, like three weeks before, I'm like, I can't preach this sermon. I've never taken a real Sabbath. Yeah. Like, or I've never even thought about it. It was never in my household growing up in this way. Like, in my mind, the Sabbath was something that was just controlling and demanding. It sucks the fun out of life. Like, you just can't do anything on Sunday. You can't go to the movies. You can't enjoy anything. It just reminded me of, like, I don't know why this comes to my mind, but, like, old Dutch women, you know. <laughs> maybe it's because you're married into yeah, the yeah, Hendrix family. Maybe the Dutch. that's the, they talk about that. So maybe that's Tom's past that came out eventually, yeah. like with his grandparents being very, very rigid, very puritanical almost. So for me, that was that. Um, so then this journey into the Sabbath for me was like, I got to figure this out at least a little bit before I preach it. I can't get up there on a Sunday and be like, hey, you do this, you do that. I think these are that. And I think what I found is, and I'll, I'll give a couple of resources at the end that I think helped me along, but how refreshing and necessary the Sabbath is and what an actual gift it is from God. Mm -hmm. Because could you imagine being these people that were just enslaved with Pharaoh that didn't care a lick about them, that actually just made their work harder every time Moses came onto the scene? Mm -hmm. And for the first time in their life, they're not valued because of their work. They're not valued because of what they can produce. They're valuable just to say, Hey, sit back. Mm -hmm. And I think if anything, our world needs that. Yeah. Because we live in a world that's crazy in that regard, where yeah. there's entrepreneurship and all that's good. But man, so much of our identity comes that like, hey, I produced this this year. I produced this or I produced that. And there's, you know, there's somebody out there that's working harder than you that's running 24-7. Are you going to let all those opportunities go? And our culture's like, work, work, work. This is why you're necessary. This has defined your life. And whereas God is just really... A breakthrough. Yeah, we live in a culture that's allergic to stopping. Hmm. Um, I remember my first mission trip that I ever took to Haiti. You know, this is this is 2010 or something like that. 
smartphones were around, so you had the you know the access to the internet and everything at your fingertips, and the text messages and everything else, the constant noise and busyness. And they told us, you know, when you go, we're going to the mountainous region to a town called Pignon, Haiti. You're not going to have cell phone service. Don't bother. We have a sat <laughs> sat phone in case something happens. And so we go there, and, and you're just not thinking phone. And I'll, when you're in the quiet, you don't realize how addicted you are to the busyness. Mm. And so when you're kind of forced to just stop, and at night there's no TV to turn on, there's no radio to turn on, there's no phone to entertain you. Like, I don't go to the bathroom without my phone. Like, I know everybody's out there going, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. We all do it, don't. But we, yeah, we all do it. That's why I feel safe saying that. Like, because you, you just you're afraid to let your mind just stop for a moment and to reflect and to be at peace without something tickling your brain. And the same thing is true of work. So we go to Haiti and like, I honestly felt like it was a detox program because it was like, what do I do now? What do I do now? And it's like, they're looking, they're looking around and just enjoying each other. They're enjoying life. You felt like there was a purity to the way that they we're living with healthy rhythms and here come all these quote unquote missionaries <laughs> that are coming frenetic pace. Like, what do I do now? What do I do now? What can I do? And it's like, dude, just stop a minute. Can you just relax? And I eventually did detox, got on a plane and Ryan was on that trip. There's some funny stories about that. Anyway, we get on a plane and we, we come back to the States. And the moment that I get off the plane, we're going through customs and I pull my phone out, which had been turned off all these days. And I turned it on and I just watched all of the different notifications and text messages and emails just start populating. And it was like, you know, and it was like, Oh, get me out of here. (laughs) Get me out of here. And, and I went right back into the hamster wheel to where I never, it's hard to allow your soul and your mind and your heart to just say no. Like, and I know so many people, people that, that you know well, that when, when you talk to them about the pace of their life and you're like, you need to stop and you ask them to stop or they go on vacation, they can't Mm. because they are, they're so, addicted to work and whether it's you know i find my identity in it and you know who am i if i'm not producing and and what will happen if i stop will the world continue if i'm not doing what i'm supposed to do and we work ourselves into that kind of a frenzy and it's really i mean it gets down to the reason why we violate the fourth commandment is because long before we get to that we've already violated the second commandment and we're trying to find our identity in what we produce like we're chasing after something because what is what does the fourth commandment hold out it's like hey come be with god yeah come come get filled by him come find your significance in him find your meaning in him but it means you have to stop pursuing everything else and that's really hard and that exposes that when we violate the 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 fourth commandment we've blown right past one and two yeah, I think the Sabbath is the scariest one to enact mm-hmm. because I think it brings out all of our fatal flaws. It's like, it's like when parents get to the empty nester stage and they've just done mm-hmm. this great job of raising kids and it's been all about the kids and just busy seasons, you know, for 18, 20 years and all of a sudden nobody else in the house and you're like, whoa, who are we? Yeah. Like, nice to meet you again. Yeah, like, hey, <laughs> I guess we have to figure this out. So that's like if we actually stop for 24 hours in a week and all of a sudden it's just us god and, and family and community i think mm-hmm. that's a huge portion of it but sometimes i i sit there on my sabbath and i'm so bored that i have to like f- figure out things that like i've been avoiding all week yep i have to have those conversations with myself that i said uh, i'll just i'll just push that down I'll, I'll bury that because i can just move on to the next thing move on to the next thing and then all of a sudden when those things aren't there anymore you're like oh i have to do some business with myself and mm-hmm. with god yeah, we, I'm so bad at that. You know, I, I'd mentioned in a previous conversation that when I went on sabbatical, which, you know, the, the word sabbatical comes from Sabbath. It's the whole idea of it, where you're not allowed to do all the things you normally do at frenetic pace and you're ha- you have to slow down. And that was unbel- it was surprisingly hard 
how much I needed distraction mm-hmm. from ordinary Sam, like where my brain, it's, it's like at night, it, you know, if I lay down at bed and I'm thinking about all of the different things that happen through the day and all of the crises that are looming and the, the personnel issue over here and the church issue over here and the nation and the family and all these things that are going and all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to sleep. Here we go. The brain is ramping up. I need to turn on the TV. I need to do something that just, you know, gives me mashed potatoes because my brain is restless and it's really hard to wrestle down to the ground and just rest and say, you know what, Lord, like <laughs> I get that I've got responsibilities that you've given me and I can't just shrug my shoulders and just say, oh, I don't care about any of them anymore. But there's a real discipline and saying, okay, God, you've given me these duties and they're mine and I've got to carry them. But the, but the results belong to you. Mm. And when you read the Psalms, you know, there's morning Psalms and there's evening Psalms. For a lot of them, it's really obvious. And you can tell like when David starts his day, his tone is always in, in those morning Psalms. It's like, okay, God, prepare me and equip me and, and lead me into the day and be my you know fortress and everything else because I'm about to go to battle and and you can tell the evening psalms because he's he's very deliberately having to sing to the Lord, mm. I'm leaving them down. Yeah. I, I'm laying all this down. I'm not carrying it. You know, let me go to, to sleep in peace. You know, it's it's a very deliberate exercise where you have to condition your brain to say, I'm not carrying this garbage into bed. And I'm really, I'm not good at it by the way, but I know, I know how, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just really bad at it. And the same is true for so many of us with the Sabbath. It's like, I know that the week and all of my work and all of my duties and all of the stuff where I find my identity is not supposed to chase me into the Sabbath. I'm supposed to say, you know what, Lord, like I trust you enough to handle that stuff and I'm going to I'm going to honor you by doing what you've called me to. I'm going to give my mind, my heart, you know, my my actions to you on this day totally set apart and I'm going to trust you <laughs> to handle all the other stuff, but I'm going to honor you with this one day out of 7 where I'm totally yours. Really hard to do. Yeah, cuz we really have 9 commandments that we live by, not 10. Mm-hmm. Like this one is the most forgotten one ever. And I love that even in the Exodus text, that it takes it all the way back to creation. That Moses isn't like instituting this. Mm-hmm. He's saying, no, God did this to begin with. And then if God didn't do it because he needed it, you know, mm-hmm. when you get to the creation story, it's like, oh, God was really tired from those first six yeah. days. Yeah. Just need a little bit of a break. No, God's after our hearts and what matters for us. And he's put it into the story of creation so that it's not a lifestyle suggestion. <laughs> yeah, and even when when you get to this idea of the Sabbath day where it talks about God resting, you know, in a sense, the resting is to replenish. It yeah. is to rejuvenate. Like, that's part of it. But I heard a theologian, um, and I can't remember who it was, but the way that they described it, it was, you know, market day for the soul is how I've heard one person say it, like, it's, it's where the Lord finishes his creation and he's saying, oh, it's good, it is good, it is good, it is good on all the days of creation. And then he makes man and uh, the garden and, and it's very good. And the seventh day is like God is looking back at all of his work and all of his goodness and everything that he has made according to his design. And when it says that he rested on the seventh day, it's like he's looking over all of his work and he is just grateful hmm. and he's enjoying the fruit of his labor. He's, he's, he's basking in the beauty of it all. And so in a sense, you know, the Sabbath isn't, Hey, sit on your hands, be bored all day and don't do anything that might conceivably be enjoyable. Like that's not what it's about. It's saying on that seventh day, like I'm going to go to the Lord and, in the most wholesome, rich way, I'm going to reflect on all the things that he's done for me. I'm going to come to him with thanksgiving. I'm going to look at the beautiful things that he's done. I'm going to enjoy the beautiful family he's given me. I'm going to, to look and enjoy, you know, the house that he's given me, the whatever. And it's like, you're, you're looking back now at the work of God's hands and your life, and you're just enjoying them and taking a break and looking at the beauty that he's done in your life. 
Yeah, and that's a great way to look at it, to not be so... Because I think all of us run from the Sabbath because it became a legalistic thing, you mm-hmm. know? Whenever that happened, I don't know the history. Uh, um, but we know it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we will take anything good and make a system that's oppressive out of it real so, quick. Yes, yeah, so then we want to run from that, but then Jesus flips the script on that when he comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, when he comes in and, and he's doing things on the Sabbath and the Pharisees who are very rigid in their Sabbath and they had it all done or are yelling at him for things like picking grain off. What is this? Mark, what is it? Mark two talks about this. Um, and at the end of that conversation, Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And that is so freeing to that idea of legalism, but also so inviting like, that's a Sabbath I want to partake in, not the one that says, hey, you have to do this in order to abide. You have to do this in order to be loved. It's saying, no, this is an invitation from you to understand your value apart from your production. That God gave this to us, not because he's enforcing it onto us, but because he knows our souls, our bodies, our everything, our relationships, our communities need it, which is wild. Mm-hmm. When Jesus lived, you know, the what the Pharisees and the religious leaders had done, you know, they, they come to him like, oh, you're plucking grain. And there's different stories in the Bible where, you know, God gives a law and it's like all humans do. You know, this is, these are the boundaries. You're not allowed to come inside the circle. And so man says, well, just to be safe that we don't even get close to the circle, we'll put another circle around that circle and you're not allowed in that circle. And before you know it, you've got, you know, all these concentric circles that are more oppressive than the law of God, but it's so that you don't even get close to hitting the law of God. And so like, let me, there were 39 categories that the Pharisees, where they expressly forbidden, forbidden these actions, forbidden, forbade, forbode. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> My brain just shut down. They didn't allow these things on the Sabbath. And like, here's some of them. You couldn't plant. Okay, that's understandable. That's hard work. Plowing, couldn't do it. Laundry, cooking, sewing. Okay, that, that makes sense. I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, hey, man, I don't want to do that. Uh, but to prevent even the possibility of getting distracted with busyness, they banned, ready for these? Writing, erasing, tearing anything, tying or untying knots, separating threads, measuring cut for cutting, smoothing out materials, like if you're making your bed, lighting a fire. So if it's cold, you <laughs> You know, don't work. Just sit there and shiver. Because, Die. Yeah, right? <laughs> it, ridiculous. But here's the one even more ridiculous, or extinguishing a fire. So if your house caught on fire, it was a violation of the Sabbath to extinguish the fire. And so, like, that's where they have these debates. If your ox falls into the ditch, is it a violation of the Sabbath to help the ox? Like, that's a real debate. And that that's so absurd to the spirit of the Sabbath. It's not restful to sit there and watch, you know, your prized animal struggling to death, but they would make it. And it's not certainly not restful to sit and watch your house burn down. Right. Yeah. And so there's, there's a common sense to the Sabbath. You know, God doesn't give the Sabbath to be oppressive to man. It's actually quite the opposite. He's just delivered them out of slavery. Right. And the, the spirit of the Sabbath commandment is, You've been working nonstop, seven days a week, 365 days a year, for as long as you've been around, going back centuries and generations, and I'm telling you, stop. Stop and find your identity in me. Stop for a moment and just enjoy me. And so what does man do? We make it this oppressive thing that everybody hates because you're not allowed to tie a knot or, you know, and that's not the spirit of the Sabbath. It's not meant to be oppressive. In fact, there was one law, and those 39 that said you weren't allowed to carry property, anything that you owned between property lines. And so you know the story where Jesus heals the lame man and and the guy picks up his mat and goes home? Yeah. Do you know why the Pharisees jump all over his case? Because he, he carried his mat <laughs> across property lines and the law, it's, they say to him, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Well, what do they mean by that? You're not allowed to carry stuff between property lines. That's a violation of the Sabbath. So they lose the fact that this guy's just been healed of being lame, yeah. radically new life. A resurrection just happened and they're worried about him carrying a mat across property lines. And so like 
when you come to the Sabbath, if you're viewing the Sabbath through this crushing, oppressive, oh, that means I can't do anything enjoyable, lose that. Like that's the, that's the spirit of the Pharisees. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. The, the heart of the Sabbath is, no, no, no. I want to introduce you to something that's more fulfilling, mm. more enjoyable, more satisfying than anything else that you chase after in this world. Come spend some time with me and your family and your community and let all the expectations of the day go. That's like drink deeply. That's a that's an invitation to something beautiful. Yeah, I think one of my favorite ways, uh, this was Walter Brue. I don't know how to pronounce his last name because there's just a lot of letters. It's Brueggemann. Brueggemann. Brueggemann, yeah. yeah. He wrote a great book called Sabbath as Resistance. I've never thought of it like that. Huh. Like it's, like Sabbath is really like punk rock when you think about it. Like <laughs> It's definitely like, counterculture. Yeah, it's like putting your fist up to the world and saying like, you don't own me for one day. <laughs> like, I, like I don't it. care what you think. I'm not your emergency contact. If there's an emergency, call 911, right? Work, you don't need me. Because really- it goes back to our control issues. It's that I don't trust God to continue all of this one day a week, which is wild to think mm-hmm. about. It's totally countercultural. It really is kind of like a punk rock commandment. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what is going on in this? It's the only space where you're like, oh, this is opposite of everything the world has told me for six days. No one can, cont- and this is how you set it up. And I think we should talk about that later, like specifics. Like, cause I think this is one of those th- that gets lost in like, if it stays way up here, I'm never applying it. Yeah, true. So I love that the Sabbath has resistance to being like, man, in a world that wants so much from me, God finally says, hey, you're enough because you have me, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about. And that's why I always thought Sabbath is so interesting. Like when you come to Romans and it's like, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. I think the Sabbath is one of the answers to that. Like the patterns of this world is you work until you burn out. You work until you die. You work until you have nothing left to produce and no one wants you to work anymore. So if I'm not trying to be conformed to that pattern, how do I stop it? Well, it's not, no one's going to do this for us. Yeah. No one's going to come to me and be like, hey, actually people should do this more. And bosses, and the church, I think yeah. like you said, like. Yeah, think bomb. about how powerful that's, what, what a message that sends if you're a boss and you say, hey, stop. You know, you, you are more important than your production. Like in a capitalist, you know, society, it's really counterintuitive to be like, hey, you're more important than your labor. I want you to stop for a day and go be with God and your family. Like, who does that anymore? You know, when, when, the, when Christianity was spreading throughout the Roman Empire in the early centuries, the, there were, <laughs> the Roman philosophers were, were looking at Christianity saying, these people waste one-seventh of their life by not working on that day. And that was the Roman attitude that was, you're only as valuable as what you produce. There's nothing intrinsically valuable Hmm. about you as a human being made in the image of God and set apart to enjoy and really like to be precious in and of yourselves. It's just what you produce, which is also why, by the way, they had no problem in the tables of the law that we've talked about in past episodes saying, oh, you know, if you're, if you're not producing for society, we should just let you die. Don't give a beggar food because you just prolong his life for misery. These are direct quotes from people back then. And Christianity comes along and says, no, not only are you intrinsically valuable because you're made in the image of God, but stop. Like you're talking countercultural, like you're so valuable that for at least one day a week, you're not allowed to produce. And the, that drove the Romans nuts. <laughs> and for people who had lived their lives under that kind of oppression, it was like, because back then it was in Christian circles, they really protected the Lord's day. Unlike modern churches, we, we don't do that much anymore. I think that's one of the huge obstacles is that God was giving this to a community, not to individuals. Mm -hmm. Because it's impossible to do, if if no one else is doing it, it's really difficult. And that's where I think we've failed as a church is to say, okay, how can we come alongside you in this and make space for that? Because it's really difficult if, you know, your friends aren't doing this or if your boss isn't doing this or if people don't respect the boundaries of this and they're calling you and they're trying to get after you or if you're missing things. But Israel just stopped and they had to and you were abnormal if you didn't Mm -hmm. the last the last time i was in israel i remember riding through 
this the city of oh Tiberius. Yeah. And it was on the Sabbath and it was the most eerie feeling to drive through, you know, kind of a bigger city on a bus. And it was like the bus driver was telling us that in that culture, first off, the streets were like a ghost town. It was really it was eerie. Weird. Yeah. It was like, like a nobody's moving, no cars. And he was saying, you know, in this particular culture, and every town is going to be different, but in this particular culture, if you were to go out and work right now, you would be shamed. Which is, you know, that's not the answer either. I'm not calling for people to start shaming each other. But it's still to this day that way in some parts of Israel. And, you know, I, you talk about um, Tom's grandparents and how strict they were. I had, I had an experience like that with one of my seminary professors where, you know, they did, they did the Sabbath old school. And he invited me to come over to his house after church one time. And we went there and they had prepared the dinner the day before. They, anything that could be done in advance, they did in advance. And we went in there and there were other seminary students that were in there. And it was like old school and they sat around the piano and they sang hymns. And I felt like I was stepping into a different century. The time machine. Yeah. Really, truly. And I was like, you know, I'm not sure what I think about this. This feels, you know, like I'm <laughs> you wearing a left hand, left footed shoe on my right foot. It felt weird. And when I left there, I was like, that was beautiful. Hmm. That was awesome. You know, just, it was like, you know, you left church where you have this worship experience, but then you go home and it only got deeper there, you know, to where they sat around and talked about the Lord and talked about the scriptures and sang hymns. And there's a lot of people listening right now that would be like, in, in my house, that would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. But in part, like when we don't flex those muscles and our kids don't see us treating the worship of the Lord as serious and really making, being intentional about the Sabbath and doing those things and, and teaching them that, you know what, worship goes beyond the church doors mm. into the home. And we're serious about this, so we're not going to cook on Sunday. And by the way, like I feel like the world's big as a hypocrite because we, yeah. we don't do it. Uh, well, and as a pastor, you know, we're supposed to take different Sabbaths and all that. But, you know, I was talking with Tom and he was telling me that he was reading a book by Ruth Haley Barton. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah, and I think she has a great one. So he's reading a book and he's like, you know, when I read that, I don't feel shamed that I don't live up to where I should be with mm -hmm. the Sabbath. I feel like I'm missing out. Yeah. And and that's, I think, the the part of this. Like, if, if we can explain what's available to us in the Sabbath well. It's not to make people go, oh, I'm not measuring up and I don't, I don't, I don't do the fourth commandment. It's like, oh man, I wished I did. Like I'm missing out. Yeah, I'm missing out. That's, that's what this is. You know, it's a gift. It's not a, it's not a oppressive requirement. Yeah, I think the, just a few reasons, because I think Ruth Haley Barton does that the best, and that's where I felt invited into it. And, that, and she wrote the book Sacred Rhythms, which has a chapter on the Sabbath that we did a sermon series on. Um, but then she wrote a, a deeper book, and it's called Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, where the first part's about Sabbath and the second part's about sabbatical. Um, but she does a great job really baking it out. Um, so I invite you to get that book. But also, she is a wonderful, and since you are podcast listeners, this may um, be a little better for you. But if you go to type in Ruth Haley Barton in Google Podcast. Um, click the first link. It's like transforming your leadership or something. Um, but if you scroll down to her podcast, season 17, the first episode is called Awakening to God's Gift of Sabbath. And she does three or four or five episodes um, that really bake it out in a way that I think I left that thinking, oh, I want that. Mm -hmm. And so she does a great job. And the other book that I loved is actually by a Jewish woman um, named Tiffany Schlein. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I've never heard it out loud. But it's a book called 24-6, and her concept that she did with her <laughs> family Clever. is, and hers is all about technology, like a real focus on we're so technologically you know, addicted to where she said the first step for my family was putting away our phones, turning off screens for just 24 hours. Like that was the first step into sabbatical. Um, and so I recommend that book to you. And I think... Uh, in Ruth Haley Barton's podcast, she interviews her, and that's a really um, insightful conversation, even just about like, hey, maybe the first step is to turn off your phone. Because mm. that is one of the things that just gets us going. There's a, another one. I remember reading this, and I heard it in a Tim Keller sermon, and then I went and read the article for myself, but it was published in the New York Times. 
and it was by a, a lady named Judith Shulevitz, mm. and she was raised up agnostic Jew. So, you know, not necessarily believing, but a lot of the cultural implications of being a Jew. And so she she grew up in that culture where they took Sabbath really seriously, more out of kind of duty, you know, just wrote, this is the way we do things. Grew up, became super professional, went and got busy burning herself out. And she wrote, a, you know, a long article that was really thoughtful. But in there, she, she made some points like, you know, when we look at somebody who, you know, making dinner or breakfast and lunch the night before and doing all those stuff, we, we tend to be like, oh, that feels pharisaical. It feels, you know, like almost like self-righteous or whatever. And she's like, you know, it does not, the Puritans did not do this out of a sense of, you know, we're just pious and better than everyone else. Mm. They put all these restrictions around the Sabbath because out of, out of a sense of humility, mm. like knowing, like you and I both know, if we don't get intentional about it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so it was more of a sense of humility. Like I am too rotten, too self-absorbed. I won't stop. I know myself too well. If I don't put boundaries and restrictions on myself to make this happen, Sunday's going to come and I'm going to speed right through it and do everything like I always do. And so she writes this piece. I'm going to read it. It's, it's kind of long, just some excerpts out of it. Maybe I'll chop some of this out, but I, I think she's really brilliant. And she's coming at this from somebody who's not a believer. Yeah. Like she's reasoning herself to be like, this stuff in that we find in the Bible, this is really good wisdom. So she says, customs exist because they answer a need. When they disappear, that need must be met in some other way. There's ample evidence that our relationship to work is out of whack. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. <laughs> no. And she says the inventors of the Sabbath, so there that reveals, you know, she doesn't treat the Bible as the authoritative word of God. So I'll take issue with that. But she says the inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily the, the way you might slip into bed at the end of a long day. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will. Mm. Take the Puritan Sunday. It would be excruciating to us, and yet the restrictions were not pointless. They made of the day something rare and otherworldly, a realization of the Puritan vision of a city on a hill. Sweet to the pilgrims and to their descendants was the hush of their calm Saturday night and their still tranquil Sabbath, wrote the historian Alice Morse Earl. To the first century Stoic philosopher Seneca, the Sabbath was absurd, a way for Rome's backward Jewish subjects to waste almost one-seventh of their life <laughs> in inactivity. The Israelite Sabbath institutionalized an astonishing hitherto undreamed-of notion that every single creature has the right to rest, not just the rich and the privileged. Covered under the fourth commandment are women, slaves, strangers, and improbably, animals. What was creation's climactic culmination? The act of stopping. Why, why should God have considered it so important to stop? Rabbi Elijah of Vilna puts it this way. God stopped to show us what we create becomes meaningful to us only once we stop creating it and start to think about why we did so. The implication is clear. We could let the world wind us up and set us to marching like mechanical dolls that go and go until they fall over because they don't have a mechanism that allows them to pause. But that would make us less than human. We have to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. That was good. So profound. Like, I, and I love that idea. You have to stop to remember. Like, what are you doing? What's your life about? Do you ever take a moment to just realize why it's precious and why you should worship the Lord and to just bask with gratitude and who he is and to enjoy your family and to look at all that God has provided where, you know, we have, we have to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. I think that's spot on. 
And it gives real meaning to our work because it's in those moments when I think we find ourselves at crossroads like, oh, I'm excited to get, I, you can only be excited to go back to work if you stop working. Mm-hmm. You can only get a good perspective <laughs> on true. work if you, if you hate it or if you're burnt out or just the real pulse of your soul about work if you're not working. Mm-hmm. So in a real sense, God also dignifies our work. Like he's saying, no, six days, work hard. Do it well, do it for my glory and keep going because you're purposeful here on this earth. I didn't just put you here just to kick your heels up, but also like we're complex creatures who, who need both and in order to make both and worthwhile. Like our work is dignified by our rest and our rest is dignified by our work. Because at the end of a week, if we're practicing Sabbath, we can look back and say, hey God, I, I left it all out there for you. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't maybe fully enough. It maybe didn't check all the boxes I wanted to check, but I did it for you and now I can rest in that. Like here, take it, have, have at it. One of the most back to a sabbatical moment one of the most precious moments i was going up through the a mountain ridge and just kind of looking over all this beautiful fall the trees and leaves were changing and everything else and i was doing my devotion at that particular stop on psalm 16 and there's there was a line in there that just hit me and i just stopped and i i didn't even go on in the psalm because this verse just stood out to me so much because one of the things that I struggle with is ingratitude. Mm-hmm. Like I'm rushing and rushing and rushing and rushing and rushing. And when something sideswipes me and makes work harder, I'm like, oh, I could have done without that. And then I just, any, anything that's an intrusion, it's hard to see it as ministry or, hey, this is important. Pause. There's a real human being in front of me because it's rush, 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 rush. And in that moment of just stopping, the Psalm 16 verse 6 jumped out to me where it says, the measuring lines have fallen for me and pleasant places indeed my inheritance is beautiful to me and so the idea is you know god has given me this beautiful life all the boundary lines of my life are just absolutely beautiful pleasant places my inheritance is beautiful to me and i was sitting up in those mountains and getting teary-eyed and emotional thinking how lucky i am to have laura and being excited to come home to see my kids and starting Mm -hmm. to miss them and thinking about all the the wonderful things and it's like that was and now now there's a poster picture on my office wall that has that verse on it with pictures of some of my favorite memories with all my family. And, but in that moment of just kind of stopping and going, you know, I'm going to, like you're talking about, it's that nostalgia where you stop and consider how blessed you are and you give thanks to the Lord that what does it make you want to do? You know, it, it, suddenly you remember why you do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not just for the sake of the job. It's not just for the sake of performance and, you know, reputation and everything else. Like, well, hold on a minute. Like, this this is my treasure. This is the good inheritance that God has given me. And I'm going to take a moment to just treasure it up in my heart and really enjoy it and worship God for it. And it's that's what the Sabbath is meant to do, Like you, like you said. Do you really stop to remember what is this all about? Because, you know, you're not going to get to your grave or on the, the eve of your death, on your deathbed and think, you know, we've said this before, gosh, I wish I worked harder. Mm. I, I, wished I'd have, I wished I'd have spun more. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to think, man, I wished I paused to just enjoy this more. And that's what the Sabbath is for. Stop. Enjoy the blessings you have. At the end of all of this, there's, there's a very real sense that all the work you do, it's, it's Ecclesiastes. It comes to you and says, you know, all the stuff that you do, eventually it's going to be undone. Eventually it's going to fall apart. Someone else is going to own it. You know, and every culture that's ever lived that had profound thinkers came to the realization that all of this stuff that we're constantly striving for feels meaningless, you know, it's it's the myth of Sisyphus where it's like, hey, you roll the you roll this crazy huge boulder up the hill and you're struggling and striving and you get to the peak and what happens? Back down. And then you got to start all over. It's like making your bed. It's like, what's the purpose of this? I'm just going to mess it up again. You know, you look at your emails and you get them down to zero and then you you take a five minute break and you come back to them and it's like, what? what ha- no, <laughs> you can't ever catch up. It's the dishes. It's it's changing the diapers. It's it's the mowing the lawn. It's like it never ceases. It's always there. And you can you can build into your life this idea that you really are just an automaton where it's like, OK, on to the next thing. I got to keep doing the system. And. I remember Laura, because being a mom, I think, is, is 
one of the hardest jobs on the planet uh, and most profound. But it's like I would look at her carrying so many things, you know, and, and doing things that the world doesn't look at as, you know, profound, changing diapers and, you know, bedtime stories and all of those kinds of things. That, and she would, she would feel overwhelmed by it. Until a moment where a song came along about, you know, motherhood or the beauties of children. And, you know, she'd be a sobbing <laughs> mess of just how precious it is and remembering, like, that there's gravity behind it. But you don't do that. Like, you don't want your life to amount to nothing but the myth of Sisyphus, where you're constantly pushing a, heel, a ball that's going to roll back down. You know it will. Everything you're striving for, your job, your business, your money, your bank account, your house, like, it's all going to be swallowed up by the grave, all of it. And we've said this before, the things that will last for eternity is your relationship with God mm. and what you've done to pour into the eternal souls of your neighbors, your family. So what does the Sabbath invite you to do? What are you allowed to do in God's, in God's economy on the Sabbath? Well, one, you're certainly pouring into him. You're remembering all that you have to be grateful for. You're pouring into your family. You're giving them time set aside for them to, to make memories. And I'm, I'm not somebody who says don't do recreation. Like when I, was, when I became a pastor, I made that clear. Like I believe in recreation on the Sabbath and going and enjoying God's creation. Go do that stuff. Make memories. But that's the point of it. It's to really enjoy the Lord and, and your loved ones and to set it aside that nothing is going to intrude. And that is so hard to be quiet yeah i remember coming across a i just found this funny i've got let me let me see if i can find it again um but there was a study that was published in science magazine here it is um and they they did this through the university of virginia and so let me just read this i wrote this up a while back so i'm just going to read this it says the university of virginia just published a study in which hundreds of people were left alone in a room <laughs> between six and 15 minutes with nothing to do but to be quiet with their thoughts. The, the researchers from the University of Virginia were surprised that most people found the silent boredom to be very unpleasant. So they, they did this little tweak to the study. So Science Magazine reports this. The researchers then decided to take the experiment a step further. For 15 minutes, the team left participants alone in a lab room in which they could push a button and shock themselves if they wanted to. So like electrical shocks. The results were startling. Even though all participants had previously stated that they would pay money to avoid being shocked with electricity, 67% of men Good job, man. 67% of men and 25% of women chose to inflict electric shocks on themselves rather than just sit there quietly and think. That's crazy. Like, I would rather electrocute myself than to have 15 minutes of quiet time. Like, that's what that's saying. And there was one, one guy. It was crazy. I wished I had it in front of me, but I, let me see if I can find it. One of the guys... It was crazy the number of times he electrocuted himself. Let me see if I can find it. So they were told that that button will electrocute them. That's correct. Okay, it wasn't just like curiosity killed the cat. Yeah. Like so here it is. One outlier pressed the button 190 times in 15 minutes. Like that's how much you don't want to just sit there with your thoughts thinking. <laughs> that's like, probably the psst, most possible psst, with it psst, rebooting psst. every time. <laughs> like he hit max capacity. Yeah. But it, it was wild. So all of them experienced it, said, I would pay money to not experience that again. Went in into this quiet place and you have a guy buzzing himself 190 times. That's how allergic we are to quiet. But good grief do we need it. Once you get over the allergy, the, once you go through the detox of busyness and you get to the other side where you genuinely start to experience a bit of Sabbath, there's nothing like it. it. It brings it brings worship and nostalgia and rest and enjoyment and love and gratitude and all of that stuff where the noise just stops for a moment and you're able to reflect back at your life and go, man, the Lord has drawn lines for me in pleasant places. I have an incredible inheritance. And then to rejoice and bask in it. It's really, it's really a wonderful thing. 
Yeah, I think the practicalities of the Sabbath are interesting because it's one of those ones where you don't want to be too rigid, but you need a plan. Mm-hmm. It's one where you want to be gracious to yourself, but you also want to push yourself. And I think for me, the defining principle, I think you said this in another way, but my goal for Sabbath is to be present with God, present with my family, um, and present with myself even, to find space for like just will mm-hmm. figuring out will. And I think Sabbath, let me make sure I get this right, the Sabbath being made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Means yeah, like, Jesus said that. Yeah, Jesus said that. Um, that my Sabbath is going to be look different than yours because mm-hmm. my profession could be different than yours. I've, God created me in a way that's different than you. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of figuring out with the same large principles of those things. But okay, what does this look like for me? Man, do I enjoy cooking? And now I can have an extended time to do that. For some people, you're like, that's amazing. For some people, like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? If you work with your hands, you know, the old adage is, you know, to not do that. Like I definitely don't work with my hands. <laughs> you know, closest thing I get to that is dodgeball. Um, <laughs> but for me, that allows stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't have a garden, but I, that would be cool in my life to do. But if you are, you know, if your job's mowing lawns, you probably should not do that on your Sabbath. But if you're like us who sits at a desk and man, I enjoy it. I think you like that. I'd love it. You love to get out there, put on a podcast and <laughs> yeah. just for 40 minutes, shut the world out. Mm-hmm. And so for you, that's awesome. But yeah, the noise of a lawnmower is the quietest my life gets. Yeah, so for somebody else, that would be like, I have to avoid that at all costs. But for you, you're, you're running out there and starting that thing up. So it is one of those ones where like, you just got to kind of figure this out. You got to say, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And then there's going to be bumps and bruises. And I'm not going to understand it all on the mm-hmm. way. And I'm going to make adjustments every single week of what it looks like. Um, but I think it is a really exciting opportunity for us as a church to, to say, hey, this world does not own us. Mm-hmm. And there's cool technology now, like we talked about. Like, I take I and I don't do this very well at all, and I've gotten off. And this now talking about it makes me want to do it again. But like, my phone at six thirty on Friday night automatically goes on to do not disturb, and only my mom and Morgan can access me. I don't even choose to do it; it just happens. I just set it up and say, if I like that guy said, like if I have options, I'm going to choose not to do yeah. it. So I want to do everything yep. automatically to do that. And at Saturday at six thirty, it and that's humility. Yeah. Like, I'm not strong enough. Correct. And half the time, I'm just looking at it, like, thinking it's going to ding. You want to know what I found out? (laughs) It's true. Nobody wants to talk to me as much as I think they do. Like, you're thinking, I'm going to miss out on all this stuff. I have yet to miss out on something big. Nothing you want to do. (laughs) Yeah, so it's one of those ones where it's like, no, there is a little bit of humility in that as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I think about me way more than anyone else is thinking about me. One of the most famous statements that Jesus makes in all the Gospels is, is he's dealing with all these people that are worn out and burnt out and, and they feel abused by life and they're on the rocks in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. I love this passage. It's just so rich. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Like, is that you? Yep. I mean, that's, I feel like that's everybody. Like, I, I've never read this passage and people are like, well, I don't know what that means. I, I can't relate to that. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And there was a a guy's commentary that I read, Dr. Frederick Dale Bruner, and he says, you know, a yoke is a work instrument, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, hey, take my yoke. And you're like, I don't want a yoke, <laughs> right? But So his commentary is addressing that point. And he says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment, a balance, and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way that we have been living. Because if I come to you and I say, like, if he's your purpose, if he satisfies you, if he's your identity, he's your value, the most stressful part of our job is not the actual work. It's not like I, you know, physically go home tired and that's the that's the most exhausting part of the job. Like you talk to somebody who genuinely 
is at their wit's end. It's rarely the physical side of the labor that you're like, I need a break from this. You know, sometimes, but more in our modern culture, what is it? It's the stress of it all. Mm-hmm. It's the, do I measure up? Am I working hard enough? Am I going to get ahead? Is this going to succeed? It's it's all the mental things that sit and stew. And that's what's exhausting. That's what eventually makes you start hating your job and hating your rhythms and everything else. And what does Jesus offer? He says, take my yoke. Well, what is that? Like, hey, I've purchased you. Your value in my sight is not based on your performance. It's not how hard you work. It's not all that stuff that wears you out and keeps you up at night. Take my assessment upon your life. Stop. You owe me one out of seven. See what happens when you just come and bask in who I say that you are and and the value that you have in me apart from your daily grind. And then see what it's like to re-engage your work with that kind of identity Mm. and that kind of security. And now all of a sudden, when you put into perspective that the God of the universe sees you as valuable enough to give his life and to do all those things for you and the promises that he gives, now when you go back to the rat race and the grind that's all of a sudden it's put into proper perspective, it's not as crushing. Mm. And so, but you have a God who's like, no, 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 come to me. Come, come get from my gospel and see how I can take your yoke off of you. The, the one that's really crushing you, take my identity, my yoke, be yoked with me. Let me do the pulling, you know, let me give you rest. It's, it's just, it's wonderful. And he's unlike every other God that's out there, all the other gods going back to the Babylonians, the gods created men. You know, you know that back in the days, the, one of the oldest religions of the world, Old Babylon, the myth was that the gods created man to be slaves so that the gods could put their feet up. The Egyptians, the same thing. All these ancient cultures, it was, you know, the gods created men to work. That's their only purpose, their only identity, their only value. And then here comes the Lord saying, no. <laughs> your value comes when you stop, actually. Your, your perspective of your value comes when you stop working. Changes the world. Yeah. And it's in that sense when you have the, the right perspective on labor, you know, because if you do the Ecclesiastes bit where you're just spinning and, and it's only for the stuff of this world and you know that the grave swallows it all, then like Ecclesiastes says, it's all meaningless. Mm everything under the sun it's all meaningless meaningless everything is meaningless if there is nothing beyond the sun if there is no god if there is no resurrection but listen to this encouragement like this changes the way you work if first corinthians 15 the chapter that's all about resurrection and resurrection hope verses 57 and 58 hear this thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, and by the way, only in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You know, this generation is desperate for purpose and meaning and their work and everything else. And everybody knows, whether you're, whoever you are listening to this, you know that the grave's gonna swallow up everything you are and everything you do. It's going to. It's all, and in that sense, it's utterly meaningless. It's only when you invest your identity, your labors, your hope, your effort, your ministry, when you invest it in the Lord, then all of a sudden it has eternal implications. And that's the only way that you will ever be able to say that your labor is not in vain. Mm. Period. You know, because there is something beyond the sun, there, there just is. And he makes all things new. You know, Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Jesus comes and says, hold on a minute. (laughs) Behold, I make all things new. I bring purpose. But you got to stop and remember (laughs) his promises and to enjoy the, the truly eternally important things that he's put before you. I think a great place to end this is with Um, A promise of God out of Isaiah dealing with the Sabbath. This is from Isaiah 58, um, verses 13 and 14. Um, God says to the people, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord 
and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Sabbath invitation is out there because he's saying, if you keep your feet, like there's, there's some personal responsibility in this. And he's saying, man, if you want the joy of the Lord, if you want to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance, it's there. You have access to it. Now, will you just take it? It's a pretty good offer. So we're going to let, let the Lord's word be the last word here. And uh, I, you know, this is an invitation to me too, because I feel like I'm terrible at this and yeah. I'm constantly get serious about it, walk away from it, get serious about it, walk away from it. And, you know, like you said, this is something that we need to spur each other onward to stop for a moment and recognize that our identity is in the Lord. And we need, sometimes we have to stop as a declaration, just like we tithe to show that money doesn't own us. We need to stop to show that busyness doesn't own us, that our identity is not in what we do, but in what he provides. And that's the invitation of the Sabbath. So, I would encourage all of us to really stop and think, how can we deliberately set one day a week apart to honor the Lord with our time and see how he will feed us? So thank you so much for joining us today. We may only made it through four, <laughs> through the fourth commandment. We half delivered. We, we, no one is surprised. <laughs> but... Anyway, join us next week. We will be jumping into the second part of the commandments, which deal with how we are to treat one another. Uh, It's been fun. Join us next time on the Out of Water Podcast. God bless. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash out of water.